Well, good morning. I am Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor here. And uh, like was just mentioned, we're continuing. This is our third week in the story of Elijah. And today we're continuing in on the theme of preparation. I played soccer in high school and college, and I was never like the fastest or the most uh, quote-unquote athletic or in shape uh, soccer player, but I, I could put the ball anywhere, and I took pride in being able to pass the ball and uh, shoot the ball very accurately. And pra- after each practice, I would set the ball down on the PK line, which is um, where you take free kicks from if you get fouled in the box. And I would practice putting the ball between a cone that was three feet from, or no, not three feet, 18 inches from the, the post and the post on the outside. So it went through this very narrow path, and I would just over and over and over again set the ball down kick, try to hit the post to make the ball go in, hit the post to make the ball go in. I wanted to be able to do that every time. And so that's a different thing when you're in practice and you're just sitting there. I won all kinds of PK competitions in our practices, which I took pride in because I didn't have to run, which is important because I wasn't the most athletic or in shape soccer player. Uh, And so it was a little bit incentivized. So I would kick, hit the post and the ball would go in. But I still remember how nervous I was. How nervous I was the first time in a game as a freshman on the JV team, there was a foul in the box because it doesn't happen a whole lot in the games. It's pretty rare, actually. There's a foul in the box, and then we had to decide who was going to take the PK. And it was decided that I would. And I remember my heart beating in my chest so hard as I stepped up to the PK line. I set the ball down, and I did exactly what I always do, and I stepped back, and I looked at, and I visualized the cone next to the post, And I remember that that moment was almost overwhelming. And that's the kind of moment that we're at today with Elijah. He has been preparing for months and months and months. And now he has this first moment where it's like, God, what will my faith do? And so when, you know, when I was growing up, I also enjoyed montage parts of movies where they take these clips of somebody preparing and they cut them all together so you get the idea that somebody's preparing, but you don't have to watch the whole dragged out process. And right now we're in the second week of this preparation story of Elijah that most, pe- most of the time gets put together like these montage parts of movies. It's just like, well, this is the highlight. I wish I could tell you everything, but here's the highlights of the story of Elijah. My favorite montages were the Rocky movies. Did anybody watch the Rocky movies? Every movie, there was a part where Rocky faces what's seemingly an impossible feat. He has to beat the Russian who's doped up and bigger than a Toyota car or whatever. And there's this moment where it's like, everything is going to be lost. I can't do anything else. But then this incredible 80s music happens and he starts lifting up all kinds of stuff or doing crazy push-ups or drinking raw eggs because for some reason, like that's really going to make you super strong or something. But I would get so excited during those parts of the movies that I would, after each movie, spend about 15 minutes doing my own Adam workouts as an eight-year-old, you know, uh, to some incredible 80s music because that was necessary. But unfortunately, as is evidenced by me today, 15 minutes of working out once a year doesn't yield incredible results, (laughs) right? (laughs) 
And so anybody who's gotten in shape or gotten out of debt or done some big task knows that it's not the highlight reel that tells the whole story, that there's more to it. But the highlight reel can be exciting and it can be temporarily inspiring. But today we're going to continue and we're going to hit, hit in on and spend time in this preparation start of Elijah's story. We're going to spend two weeks, this is the second, two weeks on a part of Elijah's story that usually gets told like this. I wish I could tell you the whole story, but instead I'll just hit the high notes. But we don't want to just hit the high notes. We want to tell the whole story because the highlight reel short sells the depth of the story of Elijah. And while it might be inspiring, it doesn't reveal the depth to which God wants to work in our lives as he works through our lives. And if there were one big idea for today, I think it would be just this, and I think it applies to last week as well. Pursue Jesus every day. Because God prepares us in the small moments for the big tests that are coming. As a recap, let's walk back through Elijah's story from the past two weeks. He's called by God to declare a bold truth to a confused kingdom being run by a corrupt leader. And then he's literally sent and cut off. He's sent into the Kareth ravine, which means cut off. He stands before a king and says, this is what's going to happen. And then God sends him away from that place. He's cut off and by himself, and there he has to trust God to literally airmail his food every day because birds bring him just enough food for the morning and just enough food for the evening. And there's a brook that runs that he drinks from, but there, the declaration was that there'd be no rain, and so this brook starts to dry up, and Elijah has nowhere else to go, and so he has to trust God to lead him yet again. And he's led to a widow's house. And a widow's house in that day would be like the house that you didn't want to go to to look for extra stuff because the primary breadwinner of the family has died and the widow is there trying to make ends meet. And there's a drought coming and there's famine coming and there's a shortage of food coming and Elijah is sent by God to go to a widow's house and ask, could you make me some extra food? And so he humbly goes after being alone and trusting God and getting the food delivered to him. He humbly goes to a widow and he asks, could you, could you maybe make me a sandwich or something? Do you have any, any extra? And she's like, do you not, are you the only one that doesn't know that there's like a shortage going on? And he says, trust me, God is good and he will provide for us if we trust him in this. And so the widow trusts him and miraculously The flour and the oil and the water that's at the widow's house doesn't run out and everybody has what they need for many days. And so if you're keeping track and you're keeping score up to this point, it looks like Elijah is losing. Elijah's standing in and in front of a king. And then he's cut off and he's sent to a ravine. Or at least he has food, but he's by himself, right? And and But then the brook that he's relying on dries up and you have to be like, are you kidding me? Like, what's happening right now? I was in front of a king and now I'm at this brook and now this brook's dried up and now I have to go ask a widow to make me food. Like, what is happening? And so it looks like if you're keeping score, he's losing. It was in front of a king that Elijah had to declare a truth. And it was into a ravine that he went and the brook dried up. And so sometimes following God, doesn't rise you to wealth and fame. Sometimes following God leads you into valleys 
where you have to trust and see that God is the provider. Elijah followed God and it led him further and further from fame and power until all he had to trust in was the word of the Lord. You can almost see this montage play out. Pick up your own motivational song, whatever you want to in your mind, and you can see Elijah makes this declaration and the song picks up and then he goes off and the and music plays and he's in the ravine and there's a clip of a bird delivering food to him. And there's a clip of him drinking from the, the brook. And there's a clip of him praying and you see it sets up this... The, you know, devotion to God. And the music keeps going. And he gets inspired as the brook dries up and goes to the widow's house and the, keep, keep, the clips keep going faster and faster and faster. And it's playing out and it's trusting God. But in this sequence, there are many days, many months, where Elijah is patiently trusting that the word of the Lord is the source for life. And to skip over this or to only hit the highlights loses the power of what God teaches us with these stories. God doesn't care how quickly you learn a lesson. He cares how deeply you trust him. We have to lean in on trusting God completely. Eugene Peterson says this in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in which earlier generations of Christians called holiness. This long apprenticeship of patience, trusting that this next inch that I've moved has moved me closer to God and so it was worth moving just one inch today. I'm usually a pretty patient person. Unless there's something between me and where I'm going. So maybe I'm not actually all that patient of a person. But for some reason, I don't like the journey. I don't. I like to invest in the destination. I planned on going there for a reason. I would like to get there as efficiently as possible. And I want to get to that destination and enjoy it. And in case you're wondering, this is not an object lesson in enjoying the journey of life. That's a fine lesson to learn. I don't necessarily agree with it. I think that you need to get to where you're going, personally. But anyway, Emily Cohn and I were headed to Centerville High School on the 4th of July because we were going to watch fireworks. It's like one of our growing family traditions. That's where we like to go. We have the perfect place in the parking lot to go to watch the the fireworks. It's a secret place that I'm not going to tell you about. But there is a place in the parking lot that we go to. And anything that stands between me and getting to this part of the parking lot is just lowering my chances of getting the ideal spot and savoring and enjoying this destination. Right? Like you are ruining the 4th of July for us, this person. And so we were going there this, this year and somehow I let someone over, because I was trying to be a nice guy, you know, growing patience, but I let this guy over to pull in in front of us. And this person enjoyed the journey of life, okay? <laughs> and so I think that we were moving forward the whole time, but at one point a turtle was like, pick up the pace, okay? And so we're moving in the parking lot, but it's so slow. It's like he's looking at all of the spots. He clearly doesn't know where the ideal spot is. I know this. He doesn't know this. And he's looking for this perfect spot, but he's going so slow. And somehow he's going on the exact route that I want to go. And I'm losing it. Like, inside, I'm boiling, but all I can do is go like this. You know? (laughs) Which is like the universal distress symbol when you're driving a car to somebody else. 
what? what are we doing? You know, I don't know why that's the thing, but it's all you can do. And then in a parking lot, it's an actual parking lot where there are thousands of designated stopping points. He stops on the drive part. The actual only place that you shouldn't stop your car is where he decided, yep, right here. Let's just check it out. I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm just going crazy in this moment because this guy decided, Adam, this is your destination for the next five minutes while I survey this parking lot. All right, <laughs> you know. And I think sometimes in life, And in my journey with God, I get impatient because I think that I'm the one who's setting the destination. I think I'm the one who gets to tell God, hey, God, I want to be here and I want to be there like now. And he's like, no, we're going to park right here. And this right here is your destination. Grow some patience right here. Learn something about trusting me right here. Lean in on growing and becoming the man of God that you can be right here and right now because we're called to follow Jesus, not the other way around. We're not the ones in the parking lot taking Jesus to the ideal parking spot. We're the ones behind him and he gets to decide how fast or how slow we go. And he's the one who gets to stop at any point. And we might want to throw up our hands and say, what are you doing but we better open our eyes and see what he's doing in us so that he can move through us later. If lines were entertaining, we wouldn't need roller coasters. And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't have dreams or aspirations or hopes or longings on where you want God to move you. Of course, he put those inside you. Of course, we're supposed to dream and wonder and be enthralled by where God is going to move us eventually. But invest in this place. Because in this place, you'll cultivate today what's necessary for tomorrow. We're called to move inches in the right direction every day in a constant pursuit of the life that Jesus calls us to. We do this because we're called to live on on mission. And eventually, we're going to find ourselves face to face with a deep need, and we have to have cultivated a trust in God. And so all of that, to get us to the main forward action of the story today, small, quiet, humbling moments are about to get turned all the way up and Elijah's trust in God is about to be put to the test. And so if you have your Bible and you want to open up to 1 Kings 17, we're going to pick up in verse 17. It says this. After, this. after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid him on his own bed and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? 
Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried, Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. God brings life where we see death. Elijah's been living with this woman and her son for many nights. And the sickness that this boy has been dealing with gets worse and worse. And the boy stops breathing. And I can imagine that in that moment, the room was growing really tense. Because this mother, a widow, remember, is holding her son who's no longer breathing. When Cohen was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. And he wasn't breathing for about 30 seconds until the doctor had it unwrapped and Cronin was crying and breathing like he was supposed to. I mean, it was quick because the doctor was on it. But those 30 seconds were the most stressful seconds of my life because I saw my son's face blue and that wasn't right. And I wasn't hearing any sound and I didn't know much about childbirth, but I knew that you should hear some crying and some breathing. And so those 30 seconds grew into stress and stress until finally there was relief. And this widow is seeing her son in that same situation, but there is no relief. She just sees him stop breathing and she's looking for a reason. And she's like, this stranger has come here in the name of God and God, now my child is dead. Are you here to make me remember my sin? Is this some object lesson right now? And here's what Elijah doesn't do. He doesn't argue her point. She says, are you here to remind me of my sin? And his response is, give me your son. He doesn't really know what to do, but he knows that no matter what is happening, the right place to go is to God because the right place to go is to, has been to God in all of the days of his journey so far. And so he goes into another place and he prays. Because he doesn't know. You can see from the question, Lord, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he asks for something. Lord, let this this boy's life return to him. He asks God the question, what's happening here? And begs him, please, please let this boy's life return. And in this case, God hears Elijah and the boy finds his breath and it comes back to life. This is incredible and this is miraculous. But what we see here is that Elijah has developed a trust in God that leads him to God in any moment that seems insurmountable. I think the temptation here is to oversimplify this and say, if you have faith enough, you can pray a dead boy back to life. And while that may be true, I don't think that's the point here. Not when you haven't skipped over the preparation part of Elijah's story. I think the point here is that even in this, this seemingly insurmountable, Elijah has developed an instinct to head towards God and to trust his will. When we take a story like this and paint with too broad a brush, we leave holes in our view of God. He can become capricious or nitpicky who doesn't save or does save based on the amount of faith that we have in our hearts. And remember, this is a story about a man becoming a man of God. And it reveals something about how we should pursue God and how he shapes us. The thing that moved Elijah to becoming a man of God was a faith that drove him to depend on God in any moment. We live in a broken world full of tragedy, but also with the full potential of restoration. 
We will see in times of tragedy, we need to turn like Elijah did to the one who brings life where we see death. We need to turn to the one who can undo the brokenness that we see all around us. This story reveals not just the heart of of Elijah, but the intention of God. This is another Old Testament reminder that God is working, working on loosening the grip death has over humanity after the fall. The prophets of the Old Testament set up the arrival of Christ. And here's the setup. Through Christ, God will bring life to previously dead places. Jesus modeled life so we would know how to live full life. Jesus died on a cross so that death didn't have to be the end of our story. And Elijah, he trusted God to give us a preview of coming attractions. Elijah didn't do anything in this story but trust God. And he would have trusted God even if this tragedy hadn't been unwound. It wasn't the faith of Elijah that brought the boy back to life. God brought the boy back to life. It was the faith of Elijah cultivated over years of pursuit of God, even in tough times, that led him to trust that God could bring a boy back to life and to dive headfirst in a time of tragedy toward the one who had sustained him over that long journey through the Kareth Ravine. The thing that we need to draw from this story is that our pursuit of Jesus will more closely align us with his mission and will. It will deepen our roots in trusting God and trusting that God is good and he is restoring the world when tragedy comes or when test comes our way. Because tragedy will come. Sometimes children grow sick and they don't come back to life because the world is broken. Sometimes people grow sick or ill and they don't heal because the world is broken. But God wants to undo the brokenness of the world. That's why Jesus came bit by bit and inch by inch. We walk with him as he's restoring the world. C.S. Lewis says this, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Tragedy happens, but God is working to undo all death and brokenness in the world. The test of these moments is that there's a war for your heart going on. Where, where will you head when this tragedy comes or when these tests comes? Will you head towards God or will you give up and believe the lie that God is causing the tragedy in the first place? God, are you bringing my sin into remembrance with this, with this tragedy right now? Romans tells us that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And James tells us that the trials lead to the perfection of our faith. But Jesus and his ministry on earth, his mission to seek and save the lost reveals the thing that God is reveals that the thing that causes redemption is God. And he will use even the evil that remains in the world to help his children. He's not causing the brokenness. He's helping perfect us through the brokenness. Just last night, Conan was spinning around and being crazy. Um, Bedtime is an altogether fascinating experience with a three-year-old because there's like this burst of energy that happens right before they just pass out. And he was literally jumping on a balloon. 
And he at one point lifted up his shirt and said, this is my belly. And was just running around. And I was like, I don't know what you're doing that for. But he was on the balloon. And he was jumping and jumping and jumping. And then he fell off after we said, Cohen, don't jump on the balloon. Like, don't do that. That's a bad decision. But he fell and he hit his head really hard on the ground. And he scraped it on the carpet and he was crying. I mean, we had to go check it out. And he recovers really quickly because his head is, you know, harder than most titanium alloys. So, like, he, he was okay. But um, after he calmed down and, and I was holding him, I was like, Bud, this is why we said don't jump on the balloon. Like, in, in the future, don't jump on the balloon because you might bust your head again. As his father, though, I didn't go up behind him when he was on the balloon and push him over and bump his head against the ground so that he would learn not to jump on the balloon. I didn't cause it. God's not pushing us off of balloons just to teach us a lesson. But when we fall off of a balloon, he's going to teach us something through it. He knows the world is broken. He knows we experience deep pain. And that's why every day we hinge our faith in him and we deepen the roots of our faith so that when earthquakes come, so that when the wind gusts of tragedy and death and sickness come, we know that God is good and he will see us through even this. Our pursuit of God changes us and it helps our perspective. Up to this point in scripture, Elijah is referred to as Elijah the Tishbite. Until the widow says this in verse 24. She says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Elijah had been practicing the penalty kick for a long time. And then it was game time. And when game time came, even though it was overwhelming, even though he didn't know what was happening, he knew exactly what to do because day by day, even through the Kareth Ravine, even when the brook dried up, even when he had to go ask a widow for food, day by day, every day, inches in the right direction, he had trusted God. And so when this big thing came, he knew the only place that I can go to sustain me through this is to God. And so finally, one last point before we wrap up. There may be bigger tests ahead, and so don't stop pursuing Jesus. When I set the ball down on the PK marker as a freshman in high school, that was not the biggest or the most important penalty kick that I would take in my high school career. And this, being faced with a dying boy, somehow isn't even close to the biggest test that Elijah will face. And next week, this newly remade man of God will head unflinchingly into a showdown with other prophets. It is an incredible story. And it's why the other part that we've talked about usually gets skipped over because this is like unbelievable that what we're going to talk about next week. But he has to continue to trust and rely on God. Remember, we don't get to pick the destination. And we have never arrived. That's why we gather And that's why we study scripture. That's why we sing to strengthen and sharpen our devotion to God for what lies ahead of us. There has already been a lot that has happened to us in our life, and yet still more lies ahead of us. 
And God is going to be good through all of us. And we are to participate in helping the world see that he is good in all of it. Eugene Peterson would go on to say this. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God. Not a feeling for God that is ex- expressed in an act of worship. If we wait to feel it before we express our worship, our worship of God will always be as fickle as our emotions, toppled by a bad night's sleep or an empty stomach. When we lean in and sing out on Sundays, no matter how we feel, it's because we need to be shaped We need to be drawn in and we need to more and more rely on God. And so, yes, we sing out even if you're a bad singer. And so, yes, we raise our hands even if you feel like you don't have the strength to raise your hands because I just need to go one more inch in the right directions towards you, God. And so, yes, we trust and we surrender to him in these moments. But it's not just Sundays. It's every day. It's every day, day by day, just like getting in shape. When you first start working out once a week might be enough to start you on your journey, but eventually you're going to have to add in more and more days throughout the week to continue getting in shape and continue getting stronger. And trust me, a broken world full of tragedy needs people who are strong in their faith. And so once a week is good, but it is not good enough over time to make you stronger and stronger and develop a deeper trust in you. It was in the morning that Elijah was given enough just for the morning. And it was in the evening that he was given enough just for the evening in the Kareth Ravine. And then the book, the brook dried up. And so I had to trust again, another inch in the right direction and trusting that God is the provider and he's doing something good in your life. And so if tomorrow reading one chapter in scripture and praying for five minutes is what you do because that's one more chapter and five more minutes than you've ever spent on those two things, good, do that. But take your next step in the right direction. It is a long obedience in the right direction to get to where we're going, but it is a necessary obedience in the right direction because I don't know what tomorrow holds for you, but I know the God that's with us today will give us what we need to see us through. He wraps us up in his arms when there's tragedy and pain and when something happens to us that feels like it just rocked our world. And he also wants to say, whatever it is, that's going to see us through. And so can we trust that preparation every day is the most important thing in living on mission? Because it opens our eyes to what God's doing in the world. It opens our eyes to what he's doing in us so that we can talk about what God's doing in us. It's not glamorous. It's not a highlight reel. It's not that inspiring from time to time. It just looks like every day, setting a reminder, read scripture and pray. Every day, setting a reminder, be vulnerable and known by someone in this community. Every day, setting a reminder, you are not alone. You are not forgotten. You are known and chosen by the king of the universe. Don't settle for less than the life that he has for you. So in the next few minutes, we're going to take communion. And it's just a reminder that Jesus let his body be broken and his blood be shed so that in the painful moments of our life, he would be with us. And we would know 
that there's redemption that's possible because the death that he died on the cross didn't stop him. And so death no longer has a hold over us. And so we remember. And so today, as you take communion, I would say, just consider this before you take it. Are you ready to commit to your next best step with Jesus? Whether that's one chapter in five minutes or a full hour of devoted scripture and prayer. I don't know what it is for you, but there is another step. For some of you, it might be, I've never trusted God completely. I've never trusted Jesus completely. And so find, find me, find someone on staff and, and talk to us about that. Because Jesus has life for you today. We pray with me. God, we are thankful that you lead us even through valleys and even through dried riverbeds, through any tragedy, you lead us and you provide for us. And so God, help us to stay ready to live on mission and to live bringing your redemption to the world that's around us. God, we love you and we trust you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.